Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? <clears throat> Welcome to the Action Network Podcast. This is the conference championship betting preview. It's championship weekend, baby. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. What's going on, Colin? I'm swimming through Lane Kiffin rumors. I've got real estate going up on the market. I've got coordinators flying in and out, leaks coming from assistant coaches in Fayetteville. And all I can think of is how much money we have on the line in all of these conference championship games. And the fact that, you know, Kiffin is probably going to have a new job the second that that Conference USA game is over. Look, the game that I'm actually looking forward to the most, I mean, I had Utah to win the South. I have Utah Pac-12 futures make the playoff futures. So obviously it's Friday night. You know, we have Georgia futures as well and Georgia to win the SEC. That's another game I'm interested in. But the game I really want to see, and we'll get to it, we're going to go through all 10 conference championship games. And then we'll close out with our Moneyline underdog parlay and uh, get you out of here. But we can spend, what, six, seven minutes on each game here. Maybe only two or three on the Mac, but we'll see. But ULL, <laughs> some 13-1, to 11-1 to 1 to win the conference. And they're going up against App State, a team that's owned them. But I think they have a good shot. We'll get there in a second. But what are you, from a futures perspective, what are you most uh interested in this weekend well obviously utah utah was the largest investment uh on the board in the preseason and something that we've been talking about since the beginning of the year uh you know you've got ull in that game against app state i know that i've got oklahoma to make the playoff futures to go in there is a a piece that we wrote up on the aac suggesting memphis i got memphis at uh four to one uh over in some jersey books early in the season uh there's a 25 to one i've got on hawaii trying to figure out how to get out of that one got a 18 to one on wisconsin from the westgate that could pay off like nine grand. So, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's all every game. I, I literally have like a, an accountant's book in front of me and I'm going to be sitting in front of the TVs just, you know, taking notes live, maybe wagering live. I mean, it's just going to be a, a complete day of, of uh, getting in and out of making sure that I have profit in my pocket at the end of each game. We'll finish up with the Pac-12 for Friday Night Lights at the end, but let's go in chronological order throughout the day starting on Saturday. The games start at noon. I think they get progressively worse as the day goes on, especially at night. I mean, it's Clemson, Virginia, Ohio State, Wisconsin are your primetime games. I don't know if we're going to get a good game in either one of those two, but we'll get there. Uh, but the afternoon should be really exciting. It starts with the Sun Belt Championship in Boone, North Carolina, a rematch of last year's uh, championship game where App State won. <clears throat> they were 17 and a half point favorites. I believe UL covered. Um, and that's something 
that ULL has done a lot under Billy Napier. They've just been a covering machine the past two seasons. And this line's sitting at App State minus six, six and a half, over under 56. These teams met, and App State's owned this year. I think they're seven and zero against ULL. These teams met earlier in the year, and App State was an underdog, a rare underdog in conference. They were a one and a half to two point underdog at ULL. They ended up winning by ten. But, you know, the game was very close and there were some questionable coaching decisions by ULL. There were, you know, they were stopped at the goal line on fourth and goal. They were over two on fourth down, you know, a couple questionable penalties. So the game really was a lot closer than, you know, it was just a 10 point spread in the end. But I think ULL and, and, and keep in mind that App State, they're deep at receiver, but they will be without Sutton, one of their best receivers and who had two catches for 60 yards in that game, one of their most explosive playmakers throughout the out for the year with an injury. ULL comes in with one of the most explosive rushing attacks in the country. App State was able to slow them down a little bit. They have an excellent offensive line. I also think Levi Lewis who had his best passing game last year has developed into a much better passer than the first meeting when these two teams met. I think that can help. I think ULL has a shot here. I think that line was about right when they met the first time. You know, I have App State rated about a point or two better. So I think that this line should be, you know, maybe around three or four, you know, four or five tops. So I bought the seven, took a little at six and a half. But I think UL has a real shot here. This should be a thriller. What do you see here in the Sun Belt Championship? Yeah, same here. I'm I'm invested on ULL. I uh, opened up at around seven, six and a half, and then took a major dip down to three and a half. Opened up at circa at, at six, and then everybody else decided, oh boy, we better go back up to six, six and a half. Uh, there has been some resistance here in the last 24 hours, so it looks like the number could come down, uh, possibly to a five and a half and a five. So we'll see what happens there. But there's just so much going on with this game. I mean, you mentioned what happened in the first game. I was out of my mind, upset with what with my ULL bet in this initial game. We had some of the craziest things happen in this game. Billy, or Na- Billy Napier punted in the fourth quarter from fourth and one in the midfield down by three. App State went on to have a 19-play drive. I've never seen a 19-play drive with the Sun Belt ref spotting the ball advantageously for the Mountaineers. PI flags on a red zone player being thrown from the from an official at the 50 yard line. I mean, it was it was just suspect. The entire game was suspect. So you're right. App State has owned this series. They've won all seven games since 2014. And how much have they owned this series? UL has never finished in single digits in a loss. So I think the line is inflated. I have this, you know, line the same as we had before. I have an App State minus one and a half on their own home field. SP Plus has this at 3.7. So the number is, you know, extremely generous for ULL if you want to get involved on that side. I mean, the over has only hit just once in this series. I think for as much heat as the offense offenses can bring for both of these teams, people don't realize these two teams are really good on defense. App State's top 15 in success rate on defense, while ULL is more of a bend-don't-break. They'll give up a lot of yards. They're 119th in opponent rushing success rate. But they're 13th in defensive finishing drive. So once you get to the 40-yard line, the Raging Cajuns defense really starts to stand up. App State is really good in opponent third down conversions. They're top 10. I like the under in this game. I like the points on ULL. They just got to get it out of their head that they can win this game. They can win in Boone. They can beat these guys. Uh, you know, I know it's got to be on their minds that they've never won this game. They never covered this game and it's never been within 10 points. But hey, here we are. We're going to take the Cajuns and uh, I'm going to take an under too. Look, ULL has an outstanding offense, maybe arguably the best of all of the group of five teams. You know, Memphis is up there and there's some other teams, but ULL is right there. I mean, this is a team that's, 
I think, leading the nation in rushing yards per attempt. They're fifth in rushing success rate. They're also top 15 in passing success rate. So, I mean, this offense is really good. The App State offense is also really good. I mean, you're talking top 15 also in rushing, top 25 in passing success rate. They're going to be able to move the ball here against ULL's defensive line. I think at the end of the day, what this comes down to is App State's defense is a little better than ULL's. Uh-huh. I think ULL's offense is a little better than App State's. App State should be able to move, just grind the ball down the field because the ULL defensive line is really poor. I mean, you're talking 127th in line yards. They uh-huh. just are going to get pushed by the App State offensive line. But I do think that this ULL offense with a more confident Lewis can move the ball on the ground. And then the X factor here is the special teams where ULL will have an advantage. They have the more reliable kicker. They have a better punter. And they have one of the most explosive kick returners, one of, I think, four or five uh, returners in the country that's averaging over 30 yards per kick return. So special teams, ULL advantage there as well. Um, you know, you have your Aussie punter who can boom the ball. Ortega is a, a very reliable kicker. App State's kicker has a big leg, but he'll miss a 25-yarder, a 30-yarder, very inconsistent. So I think that that's an X factor as well. So I think these are uh, these two teams are not far apart. Don't be surprised if the special teams are a factor. Another thing for ULL that people don't realize, they're number one in the nation in havoc allowed on offense. They do not beat themselves. They do not give the ball up. They do not give you gifts. Now we're going to talk about Hawaii later. You want to talk about giving gifts. They're not Hawaii. They're a solid investment. They've just got to get it done. And by the way, true road dogs in conference championship games are 14 and 5 against the spread, covering by an average margin of over a touchdown since 2005. That includes Louisiana's cover last year in Boone in a straight up loss. But something to keep in mind, we mentioned App State hasn't turned it over. They've lost two fumbles all year. That's it. That leads the nation, by the way. The fewest fumbles lost all season. You want to talk about you know a team that's due to lose a couple fumbles and deal with some turnover regression. It's right here. And uh, like I said, with Billy Napier, he's 18-7 and seven against the spread, covering by almost a touchdown per game. This ULL team just continues to be disrespected by the market, and they continue to beat the close. Billy Napier is just one of those names that's on the list. I know he's on Arkansas' short list, and so he could be trying to add a very big bullet point to his resume here with a victory. All right. Also at noon on Saturday, we have the MAC championship. I don't know how much time we're going to spend on this, but Central Michigan is a six and a half, seven point favorite. This is in Detroit, uh, over under 54. This is the first time Miami Ohio has been to the MAC championship since 2010. Of course, it's after Gus leaves. Poor Gus. Central Michigan first appearance since 2009. I don't think anyone projected either one of these teams in the MAC championship in what was a wide open MAC year. I mean, Central Michigan was picked to finish last in the division. They had one win last wow. year, winless in the MAC, and now here they are as almost a touchdown favorite. Look, I played this very small. I took the Red Hawks plus seven just because I make it around four, four and a half. They do have a big special teams advantage. It's something to keep in mind. Their special teams have been really good. They, they like have won many games that they probably shouldn't have won because of their special teams. And Central Michigan special teams are pretty dreadful. Central Michigan has the much better offense. These are two similarly rated defenses. I do think that you're getting some value in the market for how Miami of Ohio finished the season. Just a complete dud. But you have to remember, they had the division wrapped up for like the last three weeks of the year while Central Michigan had a win in their final game of the season. It's the MAC. It's been the most unpredictable MAC I can remember. So that maybe means Miami of Ohio wins. But I don't know. I've been wrong on the MAC all year. I'm so happy this is the last MAC <laughs> matchup that I can bet. So I bet it small. It'll probably lose. But I just bet small on the number with Miami of Ohio. Uh, what do you see here? I've actually only bet Akron once, uh, uh, cashed that ticket. Uh, I've been 
riding Kent State forever, so I, I've actually had a profitable year in the Mac, uh, which it's just hot and cold. There have been years where I haven't been able to hit the broadside of a barn. So uh, you're right. The number is completely inflated in this game. Uh, it should be around three and a half. But I mean, that's a result of what's happened in the month of November. Central Michigan has just been on a terror lately uh, and, you know, making their way all the way back. I mean, you have to think about where they were. You mentioned that they were one and 11 last year. Their sole victory was over the main black bears last year. Uh, they go and get Jim McElwain. Uh, he comes in and they lose their first conference game against Western Michigan. The fact that they're here in this spot is amazing because they lost their very first conference game against Western Michigan. They got beat by Wisconsin, uh, blanked by Wisconsin, a 50 burger, got beat by Miami and Florida. They got down to 300 to one at the end of September at Circus Sports. And I'm not sure if there's a ticket floating around on that, but I mean, this is just tells you how crazy when we make these bold predictions, the stuff someone at Mount do, Pleasant has to have one. Somebody has to have one, right? I mean, so I mean, when Stuck and I make these crazy predictions in the Mac and the Sun Belt when we're it's July and August, it's because it's so easy to improve your team so fast in these really bad group of five conferences. It doesn't hurt to take a huge long shot. Now we just I happen to whiff with Texas State. I, I wish the chips would have been on my radar, but you know, here we are. You know, the Red Hawks. Let's let's switch to their side because they've been poor over the last month. They've been outgained in recent wins against Kent State, Ohio. Bowling Green, uh, Akron covered, almost beat him. Brett Gabbard is their quarterback. He, he was deemed more than probable by Chuck Martin for this game, uh, but he did suffer injury in, in the last game out, so we don't know exactly how good they're going to be on offense. They're not very good anyways. They're outside the top 100 in almost every single category. I mean, some categories, they're below 120, so it, it's pretty terrible. Uh, the number is an overreaction. Ball State came back and scored 27 points to Miami, but I was zero last week in the second half. Came back to win that game. So it's been so long, even though the number's inflated, it's been so long since we've seen a Miami of Ohio do anything on offense. I mean, we're talking a month. Uh, the Chips have not lost a first quarter since September. Uh, they failed to cover just two games this year. That's how hot they've been. So, you know, forced to take a side, I agree. Miami of Ohio, the number is inflated. And I, I'm looking at sharp books right now, and they're coming down off the seven and the six and a half. They're hitting six. So, I mean, I got to respect the money that's coming in off of Miami of Ohio. But this offense is lifeless, and Central Michigan is on a heater. So, I mean, take which side that you want, but Miami of Ohio's advanced stats are terrible, and you're seeing a reflection of that in the point spread. I agree. It's tough to swallow, and it's purely based on the number. Their offense is ugly, as you said. All right, let's move on here to probably you know my main tv will be ull app state and then you know on the other tvs i'll have the mac game you know maybe instead of the mac game i might have baylor arizona which is a noon matchup of top 25 college basketball teams noon eastern in waco but at the same time elsewhere in the state of texas their football team is playing. I don't know who's going to this Baylor-Arizona game at an 11 a.m. local tip while Baylor is playing for a Big 12 championship uh, against Oklahoma. Two 11-1 foes here. They both have playoff aspirations. Baylor probably a little more, well, obviously a little more of an outside shot than Oklahoma. You know, and all these teams, the thing is, is that they're playing, you know, Baylor and Oklahoma, Utah. They're all going to try and go out there and win, win by a lot, and then kick back and then root for LSU at 3.30. Um, so we'll talk about that game later because I think most agree if Georgia wins there and, and sorry to Oklahoma and Utah. Uh, but this game is really interesting to me because well, one, two reasons, right? This is in 
uh, Arlington at AT&T Stadium. And Oklahoma is a nine-point favorite over under 64.5. You say nine-point favorite. Well, Oklahoma just last month was a closed a 10.5-point favorite in Waco. And that was without CeeDee Lamb. So, and then, you know, they obviously, Baylor covered. Baylor was up by 25 points. They had a Falcons lead of 28-3. They were dominating. And then it was just a tail of two halves. Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley changed their entire offense, especially for the second half. They became a ball control offense. They were just running it right down uh, Baylor's throats, just efficiently passing. Hurts with his legs. And we've talked about this before. Baylor does a great job of limiting explosive plays. You know, their front seven can be exploited on the ground. They're not the most efficient defense. And you're talking about maybe one of the top one or two most efficient offenses in the country in Oklahoma. And they just efficiently move the ball down the field. You know, they caused a, a couple turnovers in the second half on Baylor, and then they wore the Baylor defense out. I don't, I don't even know if the Baylor's offense was on the field for more than 10 plays in the second half. Um, but it was a tale of two completely different halves. It was one of the oddest games mm-hmm. that you'll see. But now this line is less than what it was in Waco, and Oklahoma has land back. I'm curious to see what Baylor does differently on defense to counteract, you know, this Oklahoma ground game, this Oklahoma efficient passing attack. Do they try and play more aggressively? And if that's the case, having Lamb now in your back pocket, that could be where Oklahoma then hits Lamb deep and opens up this game in an area where Baylor usually excels at in limiting explosiveness. On the other side of the ball, you know, Baylor's going to hit some explosive plays against an aggressive Oklahoma defense that you can do that against. But, you know, the Baylor offensive line still has questions. And, you know, the look, the two stats that I point to on the Oklahoma side on their defenses, they're top 20 in sack rate and they're top 20 in creating havoc. The Baylor offense is outside of the top 100 in each of those two categories. So, you know, key turnovers, which we saw play a huge role uh, against Baylor in the first matchup, could be the difference as well. I think Oklahoma is a little cheap here, and they've been cheap for the past couple weeks. We were on them against Oklahoma State just because of a few close results that I think were primarily due to just bad turnover luck. And we've talked about this countless times on, on the podcast with Hurts fumbling in the red zone and you know the pick six against TCU when uh, the receiver fell down. Oklahoma's a little cheap. I know that Rule will have his team ready for the revenge here. You know, Rule has been a ridiculous coach against the spread as an underdog. I mean, you're talking, I think, the only coach in all of college football that's an active coach that has a better, that has been more profitable against the spread as an underdog is Brian Kelly. That's it. So he's been excellent against the spread. What do you see here? If you're going to back Oklahoma, you're going to point to what happened in the second half. And if you're going to back Baylor, you're going to point to what happened in the first half. So let's put what Baylor did in the first half under a bit of a microscope. Baylor scored 31 of their 34 points in the first half in the previous meeting in Waco. Those points were a result of two OU turnovers and starting field position at the Baylor 46, the OU 27, and the OU 9. Baylor had just one drive go for more than five plays and result in points the entire game. The entire game. One drive go for more than five plays and result in points. Turnovers are unpredictable, but if you take out Baylor's eight plays and 21 points, it was just a complete domination by the Sooners when you factor in what happened in the second half. Oklahoma had eight drives go for over eight plays. They had six of their possessions, six of their eight possessions in the second half end in points. Uh, and they even I'm fumbled sorry, inside the total. 10. They even fumbled inside the 10. The Sooners had a ridiculous success rate of 71% in the third quarter. I don't know what happened in, at halftime. I don't know what adjustments were made, but 71% success rate in the third quarter was amazing. 
So to me, the formula is simple. If Oklahoma is not forfeiting possessions on turnovers and they're not in their own territory and they don't give Baylor those shots again, then it's highly unlikely that Oklahoma will find themselves in that position again. So I think Oklahoma covers the spread. I think they know how much they have to win by, considering they'll already know the outcome of Oregon and Utah. And I think Lincoln Riley will do everything to not just cover this spread, but to put it on to make sure that he's he's got the team that's being talked about on Sunday. Yep. Yeah, I mean, my, my thoughts are I don't know if I'll necessarily have a pregame position because I even though I do see some value in Oklahoma, I make this line over 10. And the reason for that is I want to see what Baylor does d- defensively, how they adjust. And also, there should be points in this game. So I do think that there is a good shot that I'll have an opportunity to potentially get Oklahoma um, at a better number live if Baylor gets the ball first and goes down the field. Like, I'm not concerned if Baylor goes up in this game. Now, I do risk Oklahoma coming out, going <laughs> up, and then getting a stop or a turnover. And then, look, I might just not have a position in the game. Um, by the way, Rule is 31-15 and 15 against the spread as an underdog in his career. That's 67.4%. And out of 511 coaches in our Bet Labs database since 2005 in college football, Rule is the fourth most profitable as an underdog. So Let, it, let's, this is a good spot usually for him. And by the way, we have in-depth previews on all 10 conference championship games. I know you worked on them tirelessly. I worked all night long last night throughout the night on getting <laughs> all of them up. So they're awesome. Check them out, and we, we'll go even more in-depth than we do on the podcast. All right, let's move on. So we have three games kicking off at noon on Saturday and noon Eastern, that is. The next game that starts will be 1.30 Eastern. UAB talked about Lane Kiffin. Maybe you can touch on some of the rumors. He will be taking on, this game is in Boca Raton, so it's a home game for FAU. He will be taking on UAB. Uh, FAU is, it looks like FAU is starting to take money. Maybe someone is dumbing mm-hmm. it. It's in the dead range. It's seven and a half. I'd see some places it's at nine. Over under 50. Look, UAB their offense is disgusting. It's better when Tyler Johnson is healthy at quarterback, but it's really a one-man band. I'm not sure what happened to Spencer Brown at running back. The offensive line is bad. There's a lack of weapons on the outside. I mean, you could argue this is a bottom 20 offense in college football, but on the flip side, they make up for that lack of offense with a great defense. I think that the perception out there is FAU has a bad defense. It's not terrible. Um, and the FAU def- offense isn't that great. I don't see this UAB offense doing much of anything, while on the other side of the ball, I think that they're front, and, and they're outstanding against the run, uh, UAB, and I think they're top five in yards per rush. They've had an easy schedule, but if you look at just success rate, and no matter where you look, they're great, and they also get after the quarterback. So what I think is going to happen, and, and the FAU offensive line is very vulnerable. Oh, UAB should dominate this line of scrimmage on the defensive end. So I think they're going to stuff the run. They're going to be able to get after the quarterback. So I think this is a game that's owned by both defensive fronts at the line of scrimmage. Points are going to be more at a premium than this total assumes. I played the under in game and split it with uh, some first half under 24 and a half. What do you see here with the Blazers and the Owls? You're you're a Birmingham boys. Yeah, I mean, insert gif of Kermit sipping the tea. I would rather have Bill Clark than Lane Kiffin, but I mean, that's not my that's not my call for the Arkansas Razorbacks from a personal standpoint. What Bill Clark has been able to do with UAB has been magnificent. He's been 25 and 13 and 1 against the spread since bringing a zombie UAB program back from the dead. He was the coach while they were dead for two years. He was coach before that. He stayed around. He was still the coach now. He went in the conference last year and getting back to the game. 11 and 2 against the spread as a dog in Conference USA. He's 9 and 4 straight up in those 13 games. 
I, I don't bet against Bill Clark. It, it's either a bet on UAB or it's a pass. I mean, there, there's just not a lot of weeks where I'm, I'm I'm pounding the table on we're going against UAB in the spot. I mean, I had them against Tennessee, but they don't deserve to be in this game. If you look at what UAB had to go through this year, I mean, the offense, you're right, atrocious, disgusting, maybe more, maybe worse than Miami of Ohio for the for the entire offenses of the day. This might be the worst one. 111th in finishing drives, 112th in rushing success rate, outside the top 100 in rush explosiveness. Uh, some of these numbers are skewed because Tyler Johnson was out with a knee sprain for a few weeks. They, and I'm not needed, sure he's fully healthy either right now. Yeah, and they needed La Tech to have their fantastic quarterback and number one wide receiver suspended to get that game home. I mean, they still only won the game by six. To get that game home, they had to have those suspensions. They turn around, they go to North Texas. They were gifted a pick six by Mason Fine. I mean gifted at the end of the game to just to get into this spot. It's one of the least about talked about things this entire week is that UAB shouldn't even be here. So saying that, you know, I shouldn't be here. The point spread is correct. Make it about seven and a half. There's no way I'm going against Bill Clark. We talked about the defense. Number one in rushing success rate. Number five in passing success rate on the defense. Top 20 in finishing drives on defense. You may get the ball down to the 40, but you're probably not going to get any points out of it. They are number three in the nation in defensive havoc. So the defense is fantastic. So, uh, you know, like you said, you like the under. I like the under. It's based on UAB's defense. As far as Florida Atlantic goes, there's a lot going on in Lane Kiffin's world right now. There is talk about him being up for the FSU job, the Ole Miss job, the Arkansas job, which, by the way, if you go and get on Arkansas message boards and you look at every beat reporter coming out of Arkansas that's been around for 30 years, they all say it's a done deal. News came out. This is Thursday afternoon. News came out about two hours ago that two assistant coaches, including Barry Lunny Jr., who was the interim, was told that he does not need to put his house up for sale. His job has been secured. The head coach has, we have an agreement with the new head coach, and your position on the staff has been secured. So the leaks are everywhere, and probably by the time this comes out tomorrow, maybe not, maybe this will be a secret until after the game, but it looks like Lane Kiffin's on his way to Fayetteville. I know that there is a big pull for us to get Kendall Bryles, uh, who was Lane Kiffin's coordinator back in 2017 at FAU. I know that there's a big pull for him to bring his defensive coordinator, Glenn Spencer, who was rec- who was fired a couple years ago from by Gundy at Oklahoma State, had a magnificent year at Charlotte, and then was brought into FAU. So there's a lot going on. And Kiffin specifically, there's been a lot of stuff I've been reading. It's, I probably got too much time to read if I'm getting down to this kind of detail. But Kiffin took out a $2 million loan to buy his house down in Boca Raton, and he borrowed that money from FAU. And if he stays the head coach for like another two years, he doesn't have to pay that loan back. So some odd, funky things going on down there. But I start to think of myself what the real estate prices are, which I happen to be, you know, an expert in. Uh, you know, two million is really kind of a pot shot. That's really not much for when you come to Northwest Arkansas. So there's a lot going on outside of Lane Kiffin's world other than this game. So I'm not sure if that's going to serve as a distraction. But X's and O's and on paper, the point spread is right. The offense, you said, isn't tremendous. The defense isn't as good as some of the things that are shown. I mean, you know, they're they're 114th against rush explosiveness, but UAB can't expose that. They're 76 against pass explosiveness, but UAB can't expose that. So I expect, I don't know, a game that's not very exciting. A lot of defense, a lot of possessions, uh, some wind factored in. Maybe some some vanilla special teams. I, I just I don't see a lot of points here. So I'll take the under and and you know I I might get into UAB especially if we get up to nine and a half or we touch ten if some steam comes in on the Owls. Yep, I completely agree with you. By the way, Boca Raton or Raton is one of those words that I say differently every time. And then if you ask me how do I say <laughs> it, and I'll, I'll think in my head, do I say Boca Raton, Boca Raton? Say El Paso and Missouri too. Everybody loves your El Paso and Missouri. 
There should be a long O, I believe. But all right, let's move on to the what's what, what we got next. Three thirty Eastern. We'll bring in a rematch of a game last weekend, um, uh-huh. and we're talking about the AAC Championship game, Cincinnati Memphis. Cincinnati needed to did not need to win that game. Now they still had reasons to win. They could have hosted this game, which will be in the Liberty Bowl in Memphis. Uh, Memphis is now sitting around an eight. It's in the dead zone, around eight and a half, eight nine point favorite over under fifty seven and a half. You know, but Memphis had a win to get to this game, and they did. And the interesting thing about this is the line closed at 14 last week, which is closer to where I make the line. And this week, it's in the same place at the same time, I believe, uh, against the same team a week later, and the line now is sitting at 8.5. Now, you can say last week that since he didn't start Desmond Ritter, they're starting quarterback, and they started Ben Bryant. But I actually think, and I don't know if there's anyone else out there that agrees with me but i actually think that based on what i saw from bryant he brings more to the offense right now than ritter does he was making throws that ritter can't you know there was a number of key third and long third and medium throws that he was making over the middle to the outside that i haven't seen ritter make or and or think that he can make and you know pickle came out and said he's our starting quarterback so it looks like he's going to start and he has been dealing with a in a shoulder injury in fairness but I'm not sure this is an upgrade, and now the line is six points fewer. And let me just throw this out there. Ritter gets Temple the last time out. He had one of the worst performances we've seen from a quarterback there. Sure, he went 9 of 25 for 62 yards. No touchdowns, three picks, and three sacks. In November, against four defenses not as good as Memphis, Temple, UConn, ECU, and USF, Ritter went 43 of 90, 48, less than 48%, with three touchdowns and three picks. He averaged less than 110 yards passing a game. So, you know, I look at this Memphis team. I, I love this Memphis team. I make this line closer to 14 than I do seven. Uh, I'm waiting to see where the market goes because it's in the dead zone. I'm going to be on Memphis. They have a really efficient defense. They do give up some explosive plays, but that's not Cincy, especially with Ritter. And their offense is awesome. It's very explosive. And we've seen some cracks in the Cincy secondary, you know, at times this year against better offenses, especially away from home. Now, the one thing that Cincy always does well and has done well all year is, you know, Red zone, finishing drives, their defense really locks down. But I actually think Memphis seeing that defense just last week will help them in that aspect. I think they went one of four in scoring touchdowns in the red zone last week, and it really kept Cincy in this game. Uh, so I, this line's six points fewer than it was last week, and I think Cincy might have a downgraded quarterback, especially if he's not fully healthy. What do you think? Yeah, I'm going to support everything Stuck just said, you know, because my, my focus on this game has really been on the total. Now, I, I've i had a couple people, I had to put a piece out on Action Network this morning. It was a hedge mailbag and I got a lot of tweets about what do we do about this conference future? What do we do about that conference future? And you should check it out on Action Network because it covers whether I'm taking a pregame position, whether I'm taking a live position. There's a parlay in there uh, of trusting two teams that are on the slate. But one game that I didn't mention in there is the Cincinnati-Memphis game, even though I have Memphis 4-1 to tickets. I'm not hedging whatsoever. I, I don't feel a need to hedge. I think I think Memphis uh, is not going to have a sweat in winning this game. There may be a sweat in covering the spread, but I, I think Memphis is going to win this game. So enough said about the side, because uh, I, I, you know, I think the side is spot on. Our projection right now is 9.7. So it, it, it's right there, and it's going to float. But I think my focus is going to be on the under again. So I had the under last week on the Action app. I had under 57.5. And wouldn't you know it, this damn game finished at 58. And there was a 94-yard kickoff return uh, to start the game by Memphis. So that was the yeah, deciding I, I had factor. under 57 and uh, a half, and it was 58 and a half. I was so mad. Uh, so I'm going back to the well here and looking at another under. It's really for all the reasons that I was in last week. And if you look at the box score of last week's game, it supports that the game should have gone under, too. I know there was a flurry of points, but once it went to halftime, 
Memphis really figured it out about how to take care of Bryant and, 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 the, and the entire Bearcats offense. You know, in the, the Bearcats offense in the first half, they had three jives with at least 11 plays resulting in a total of 17 points. The Memphis defense, they made adjustments at halftime. They pressured Ben Bryant into multiple turnovers. That was really the difference in the second half. And I think we're going to see the same thing here. No matter if it's Ritter or if it's Bryant, I think the Memphis defense is the real difference here. Now, Ritter's not coming back from injury. They, they, they've said it's an injury, but if you've been keeping up with this Ritter-Fickle thing, it's been more of what's been between the ears. So I don't know if he's coming off of a, you know the, the injury table or if he's coming off a, a psychiatrist's couch. But uh, it supports the under more for me if Ritter is playing because of how ineffective he's been. He's only thrown for over 200 yards just once in September. So, you know, if you take out that You agree with me that play, Bryant might make their offense more dynamic, right? Even though he's... Absolutely. I'm on, the, I'm on the under because Ritter's going to play. I mean, that I think that helps out. If you go and you watch them, the only time the Bearcats score is when they have long, clock-eating, grinding drives. That's the only time. Three drives in the first half of 11 plays and 17 points, and they kill a lot of clock, and then they didn't score at all in the second half once the Memphis defense showed up. And I and I and we do like the Memphis defense. That's something that doesn't get talked about enough. Uh, you know, they're 20, they're what 25th in defensive passing success rate. Uh, you know, they're havoc minded. Uh, you know, I, I think explosive they're, plays, but that's not Cincy at all. Not Cincy at all. 82nd in passing success and and 79th in passing explosiveness for Cincy on offense, and they're 66 in rush explosiveness. I mean, it's just this is not the Cincy offense whatsoever. So to go on the flip side of it, when Memphis is on offense, the high powered offense that they have, Cincinnati's defense just isn't a pushover. I mean, you may be able to get the ball down the field, but the Bearcats are 10th in the nation in defensive finishing drives. So once you hit the 40 of the, you know, once Memphis hits the 40 yard line, that's when Cincinnati tightens up. So I, I really like the under again. I'm going to go back to the well. I have been sitting all week. It's not in the action app because here we are, 57 and a half. One book's got 58, and I'm, I'll be damned if I'm going to take 57 and a half again. I'm going to try to get 58 and a half. I'm going to wait this out, but I'm going to be on the under once again. Fair enough. Um, all right, let's move on. Before we get to the big game at 4 o'clock between LSU and Georgia, there is another game that kicks at 4 Eastern, and that is the – Mountain West Championship. We won't spend much time on this game. And by the way, we'll also have our live show at 10.30 a.m. Eastern on Saturday. We'll cover all these games, updated line moves, injuries, all of that. This is between Boise State and Hawaii. Boise State will host this game on the blue turf, 4 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. Boise State has a 13.5-point favorite over under 64 against Hawaii. This line, I think, I believe opened at 14. Uh, maybe a little higher, 14 and a half, 15, and has come down across the key number. By the way, they played mid-October. Boise was a 13-point favorite, so lines right around where it is now over-under was 60. The final score is 59 to 37. Boise put up 59 points. Look, that was when they had, I mean, Henderson played a little bit. I mean, both these teams have had used multiple quarterbacks all year. Hawaii's used McDonald and Cordero. Cordero left the game last week with an injury. I don't know if it was precautionary or what. And then Boise State has used Cord and Backmire and all these guys. Now Henderson has come out come out of nowhere and their offense has been so much more dynamic with him under center i think this line and total are spot on right around two touchdowns you know if you want to get hawaii i'd try and get over 14 if you want to get boise under 13 but i think i'd make it right around two touchdowns i will say if hawaii comes out the hawaii defense is so bad i don't see them stopping boise for 60 minutes under any circumstance so and boise has come back a lot this year so you know if hawaii with their offense which you know is a pretty efficient offense that can score. If they're if they come out and they get a lead early, even if they're especially up at half, I may look to get Boise live uh, or for the second half. But if not, this is a complete stay away from me uh, in a game I have no interest in betting. How about you? 
what you just said is exactly the advice that I gave the readers of the Action Network article, which is if you have a 25 to 1 on Hawaii, I think Hawaii is going to be able to do enough on offense to keep it close for certain periods. And that's going to give you a Boise State number of a money line. The money line right now in Boise State is minus 500. So you can't really take that. I mean, you could apply that to your 25 to 1 future on Hawaii, but I really think you can get a Boise minus 250 live, fire. Hedge on that Hawaii. I think the sweet spot here is getting Hawaii at 14 and a half and getting Boise State live on the money line because I think that's where this game is going to land. But if you look at the last game, you know, Hawaii, this is the second time they're going. They lost 59 to 37. But the result of that difference is because of three fumbles in Hawaii territory. Every single quarterback for Boise played in this game. Bachmeyer started out, got hurt. Chase Cord came in, went crazy. Jalen Henderson came in, went crazy. I mean, everybody was getting touchdowns. I mean, if you, if you, if you were in the Boise, Idaho area, you were welcome to come down to the blue turf and throw a touchdown against Hawaii. So, I mean, the takeaway is, is if Hawaii can stop with the fumbles, which, you know, they're top 10 in the nation and have a cloud on offense. So it's it was really a little, little strange to see them give the ball up that many times. Uh, then they have a chance to easily keep this game within 14 points. You think three fumbles in their in their own territory and they only lost by 22 points. So I think that they have a shot to keep this close. And I think the thing that people need to realize about Hawaii's offense, the weather, it's and, and the seamless the, the transition between Cordero and, and Cole McDonald is has just been crazy. It's like drive to drive, play to play, like one's in, one's out, and neither of them complain about it, and both of them are equally as effective and equally ineffective sometimes. One thing people need to realize about Hawaii is that they are not a fast-paced offense. And I can see that yeah, I know the score was 59 to 37. I get it. But that's not a result of pace. Hawaii is a team that does the run and shoot, but they will drain the clock before they actually hike the ball. So when you see that, you know, the score is, I'm sorry, 96 points is a lot of points. But I wouldn't be surprised to see this thing go under because Hawaii's only chance to win this game is to leverage the fact that they're top 10 in success rate on offense. They're sixth in rushing success rate. They're 10th in passing success rate. Now, they're not explosive whatsoever, but they can move the chains and they can slowly burn the clock. And if they can stay within one possession, or two possessions, if they can, you know, they can get a touchdown every time Boise gets a touchdown, they can keep this close. So barring any turnovers, I think Hawaii has a good shot to keep this within the number. And there's going to be a period for you to hedge that 25 to one on the futures. Yeah, the problem. I mean, Hawaii doesn't play fast, but the problem is the reason that they have, you know, these scores is their defense is so dreadful. I mean, you're talking it's bad. 114th <laughs> in rushing success rate, 117th and everything's outside of the top 110, 120. You know, stuff rate, 126, sack rate, 127. Yeah. So Boise will be able to just line up. They almost had seven yards per play, score at will. And Hawaii's a good offense, but Boise has a much better defense. So I think at the end of the day, they'll be able to get more stops. And then the kicker is Hawaii's special teams are also just dreadful, while Boise Bad. State has pretty decent. Yeah. especially And Boise's offensive numbers, I think, are a little skewed because I think they're better than some of their numbers indicate with Henderson now – uh, under center, their offenses look dynamic. But if you just look at Hawaii scores, they go up 38 to Arizona, 52 to Washington, 40 to San Jose State. I mean, any offense with a pulse is getting to 40 on Hawaii, which would be this, which would be the only worry with the under. I think, uh, yeah, and I think another worry with them too is this is their sixth trip to the mainland, their sixth different trip, and I think in the past 11, 10 weeks to the mainland, and so, and you know, this isn't a night game for them. This is this would be like a 9 a.m. kick to their to 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 their local time. That's one thing to to take into effect. But I mean, I, I wondered with the San Diego State game if they were starting to wear out because uh, the, the scoring had just gone down tremendously against some of these terrible Mountain West teams. So we'll see how they come out here. Yeah, maybe there's some fatigue and there's some elevation in Boise as well for the mm-hmm. second half. But um, all right, let's move on 
to the SEC championship game, which is the game of the weekend. And the reason is it is, I think everyone would agree, a playing game. There's no question about that. It's going to be on. <laughs> uh, it's essentially a quarterfinal for one team. Uh, it may be for the other, but I think even if LSU loses, they are still in the college football playoff. Now, it might depend on what else happens, but uh, I think if LSU does lose to Georgia, Georgia and LSU are still both in. If Georgia wins, I think everyone agrees they're in. If they lose, everyone agrees that they're out. Right now, this line is sitting at Georgia plus seven over under 54 and a half. I could tell you that I took some under 55, some under in the first half as well. 55, you can try to get it, get it. Uh, key number in college football. I also took a little piece of Georgia. I mean, I make this line around five-ish. But look, this what this what this comes down to to me, and Georgia's been waiting for this game since last year, is I believe in the Georgia defense. And, you know, it's arguably the most efficient defense in the country. They don't create a lot of havoc, but they have a secondary that can match up with LSU. And their defense is just solid. Front lines to the secondary. They don't give up a ton of explosive plays. They're awesome in the red zone. They're well-coached, well-disciplined, and I believe in this defense that can at least slow down LSU. Having said that, I don't believe in the Georgia offense, which will be without its two top receivers, at least for the first half, with one of them suspended for getting in a fight against Georgia Tech in a 50-point game. So that leaves their leading receiver, and the game is going to be, like for the first half, their leading receiver, I believe, has 200, yeah, Dominic Blaylock has 299 yards receiving on the year. He has the most receiving yards. <laughs> That'll be their their top wideout in the first half. So I think LSU can focus on – and look, the LSU defense, we've given them some you know, criticism, but it's mainly in giving up explosive plays. That's not Georgia. Georgia's offense is the opposite of explosive. I mean, you're talking about 116th in rushing explosiveness. They're 61st in passing explosive, but they won't have Cager and they won't have Pickens. So LSU, whose defense I think could take a lot out of that dominant effort against Texas A&M last week – can focus on the run here. Their defensive front is solid. Um, and Georgia is just going to have to play slow, grind the clock, keep the LSU offense off the field. I think the game script is going to be slow, snail pace, run it, some play action. But I think their defense can compete. And I think this game goes, you know, I mean, all Georgia struggled to get to 24 against any team with a pulse that they played all year. You know, and their defense has also stepped up against all the teams with a pulse that they played all year. So I think this game stays in the 20s um, and doesn't get to the 30s, which it would require for it to go over. Yeah, I agree with you because my bets going into this game, and let's not, uh, we'll just keep the Georgia 12 to 1 future that you and I have. We'll just keep that on the outside. And as far as the bets on this game, I have an LSU first half money line under in the first half. And for everything that, that we were talking about, I mean, the focus of this game will be the two best units in college football, the LSU offense and the Georgia defense. Bulldogs, they're going to be the stiffest test that Joe Burrow has seen all season. Joe Burrow's a f-ing dog, man. He ain't no puppy. He's a f-ing dog. And what, like, a treat, just like as a fan of college football, to see passing game coordinator Joe Brady go up against Kirby Smart, who's arguably the best defensive mind in college football. So it's, it's just going to be a chess match. Georgia's going to be in a dime. They're going to be in a nickel. They're going to they're going to bring pressure from the left, from the right. They're going to they're going to be in so many different formations trying to confuse Joe Burrow and trying to limit how many times he checks down to a running back. It's just it's going to be a fascinating watch. Um, you know, the Bulldogs are first in the nation in defensive finishing drives. Uh, they only allow 3.55 points to uh, for each opponent who visits the red zone. Uh, Georgia's top 10 opponent third down conversion. So this is 
you know, the biggest game that Joe Burrow will have the entire season. So I think the game is actually going to be decided on the other side of the ball. I, I think it's just good on good with the Georgia defense and the LSU offense, and it's really the other side which has me intrigued because you have LSU who has just seemed to regroup and on the defensive side of the ball, holding Arkansas, Texas A&M, and Ole Miss to just 13 points combined in the first half. I'm not counting second half. LSU had those games out of hand. They're top 20 in success rate defensively, and they're complemented by 14th in defensive havoc and 19th in opponent red zone scoring. I'm worried about this Georgia offense. Uh, you mentioned the loss of Pickens. Cager will not be playing. Uh, DeAndre Swift had an injury this week. Kirby Smart said after the game last week against Georgia Tech that he would be fine. He backtracked on Monday and said, well, we just hope that he's going to be okay to go on Saturday, which is uh, just a different tune that he was singing 48 hours earlier when they came off the field. I'm not really worried about Georgia's depth at running back. They're loaded with blue-chip talent all through the backfield. So I, mean, I hate to say, like, you know, treat Swift like he, he's a replaceable player. But if there's one stable of running backs that can do it, it's going to be Georgia as far as the talent goes. But, I mean, this is all about familiarity and rhythm for Jake Fromm. I mean, who is he going to hit that he's comfortable throwing to? Uh, there's been some talk about Georgia possibly lining up in a two and three tight end set. Uh, they're going to try to do what Alabama did, which was attack the middle. Uh, that's where the LSU uh, defense was soft with the loss of Michael Davidity. Grant Delpit has been hurt for a while. I think there's been some shuffling of positions. I like Georgia to cover the number here. I love their defense. Uh, I think they're the ones that keep it close. I would scoop the seven and a halves that I see in the market right now. I would take those. I would take the seven. I would stop at six and a half. And I will say this about me taking LSU in the money line in the first half. If that bet loses, then I'm fine letting my Georgia 12 to one ride. Because if Georgia has this lead at halftime, they're going to win the game. Kirby Smart has proven to be the best head coach in halftime adjustments, the best in third quarter success rate since he became a head coach at Georgia. Yeah, I mean, I took a small position on plus seven. I would have taken more if not for something that you just brought up. So I'll piggyback off what you said. The second half adjustments and Kirby Smart and then, you know, they're getting Pickens back for the second half. So, you know, I, if I can get a better number than seven and Georgia is still in it, you know, maybe down four to seven points in the first half, then uh, I will look to add to the Georgia position. As of now, I don't think I'm going – I don't know. I don't think I'm going to head, hedge anything of Utah, Georgia, or – Louisiana, uh, but I'll have my decision on the live show on Saturday. All right, let's move on here. Like I said, we'll have much more on the previews on the Action App and ActionNetwork.com. Uh, but let's move on to the primetime slate. And look, <laughs> if you have, if you have to, uh, you know, if you if you owe your girl a, a date on a Saturday night, this might be the one. You could be like, look, it's Conference Championship Saturday, and I'm and we're going on a date because the games are pretty bad on paper. Now, it doesn't mean they won't be close, but we'll start at 7.30 Eastern uh, on ABC, Virginia at Clemson. How can you say Clemson is not worth a watch on TV? Dabo Sweeney told me this week that all the media is against Clemson and that they're a terrible team and that we're looking to drop them to number 20. I mean, you just can't have any anything negative around this Clemson team right now. He has done a masterful job of turning personalities in the media around and giving it as motivation to his players and his program to be fired up against a Virginia team and then to head into the college football playoff feeling like an underdog, although he may not be an underdog in the game. Yeah, yeah, but I'm still waiting for Dabo to quit, by the way. He said he's going to quit once college players start getting uh, paid <laughs> while he, he's making uh, tens of millions of dollars. I, I don't think he's quitting, by the way. So, yeah, he's done a great job. Venables has done a spectacular job with – uh, that defense and transforming him. And Isaiah Simmons is a stud, but the whole defense, they lost so much talent. They, you know, switch schemes and they're still just dominant. Now they haven't played anyone all year. I mean, just to show you some, but you, I mean, with all the talent, they're coaching. This is one of the top three teams in the country, but just to show you how funny this is, 
They are 28 and a half point favorites here. Over under is taking some money and, you know, it's blasted through 55. The key number is up to 57 and a half. Um, but just to, to show you how ridiculous this Clemson schedule has been, they were favored by at least 24 points in all but one game. And that game that they weren't, they were favored by 16 and a half, 17 at home against Texas A&M. That means they were favored by an average of 30, just under 32 points in 12 regular season games this year. And now they're almost favored by that in the conference championship. But still, we are both believers in Clemson. Um, they are, they've especially turned it on. I mean, look, I think that there were some struggles early on in the year on the offense with Trevor Lawrence, and he was missing Renfro. He was forcing some throws. The receivers weren't all the way healthy as well. But they've turned it on late in the year. Lawrence is on fire. A little too late for your Heisman ticket. But, you know, they've won their last seven by an average margin of 40 and none fewer than 31 points, which is what you would need them to do to cover this number. You know, I look at this matchup and I say, uh, I actually, you know, make it closer to 20. I mean, some numbers out there, these people project the numbers for this are all over the place. I think you make it 30. Is that correct? Yeah, 30. Uh, uh, I've seen some that would ask if he makes it 20. I make it around 25. So at 20 and a half, maybe there's some value in Virginia, but nope. <laughs> I just don't see anything. Like, I don't understand how, first of all, their defense their metrics are a lot worse than what you see for the full season because their secondary has been a mess and it just allows a ton of explosive passing plays down the field. And, you know, they've been hurt and they really miss an all-American corner in Bryce Hall. Their defense just hasn't been the same since he went down. So Clemson it, it could perfectly exploit that. They also should dominate the line of scrimmage and be able to run the ball. And the other side of the ball, this Virginia offense, it's really just a one-man show. It's a one-man band with Bryce Perkins. Clemson's defense, whenever they faced a mobile quarterback this year, uh, they've completely shut them down. Venables just has to scheme up, okay, how can we contain Bryce Perkins? They can't really run the ball. It's not an efficient offense. They can't really throw the ball down the field. Uh, they do play really slow, and that's what they're going to have to do here, um, play extremely slow. But I just don't know if they can move the sticks consistently to you know keep Clemson off the field. And I don't, I don't know if they can stop Clemson with their secondary issues. The one advantage they have is on special teams, but if you're relying on just special teams to cover 28 against Clemson, uh, you might be in trouble. I mean, Virginia leads the nation in kick return yardage, but Clemson also leads the NCAA in uh, touchbacks. Now, part of that's because they score a lot, but they do get a lot of touchbacks. But, I mean, Clemson special teams stink, and that's about it. Everything else is elite. Uh, so that's not enough for me to back Virginia. Uh, maybe Bryce Perkins has some magic. Maybe Clemson goes up and they say, look, we have bigger fish to fry. Let's get the backups in. We don't care about running this up. And they go super conservative. And then Virginia gets in the back door. But this line around 28, unless it gets the 31, um, no thank you. I will be passing. If the over-under keeps going up, I might back play the under because I don't see Virginia really doing much of anything. Uh, and they'll be playing slow while doing it. And uh, Clemson eventually will take their foot off the gas. There's just so many things. I mean, I, I it was brought to my attention that SP Plus was like 21 and a half or 18 and a half or some crazy number way off what we have. You know, and my number is just like, what, two points off of, uh, of the current market right now. But if you look into the advanced stats, it's ugly for Virginia. Right, so Clemson's defense is second in the nation in sack rate. Virginia's offensive line is 105th in protecting Bryce Perkins. That's not good. Uh, you know, uh, Clemson's 11th in defending pass explosiveness. R Bryce Perkins doesn't have any pass explosives. One of the worst in the nation. So, you know, if, if you try to look through Clemson's schedule, and you're right, they haven't played anybody, and you try to find some dual-threat quarterbacks, Kellen Mond from Texas A&M, maybe Michael Cunningham, Louisville, uh, you know, Perkins is better than those guys, but those guys didn't do anything. They didn't rush for any yards. 
Uh, they didn't. They had, a, I mean, QB ratings that were just you know the worst of the season for those individual quarterbacks. Um, I, I think the the factor that you mentioned is the biggest aspect of this game, which is the Virginia secondary. You know, Virginia seventy fourth and opponent pass explosiveness. That's not good against a Trevor Lawrence that is hitting Justin Ross and T Higgins in stride. That's with that, Bryce Hall and their fully healthy secondary all year, which they don't have now. Yes. Yes, and so if the secondary is ranking 74th against pass explosiveness, I don't see how in the world you could back a Virginia ticket here. And and not, I mean, it's no disrespect; they're a really good team. Good job winning the coastal. Uh, they're going to give uh, you know give Bryce Perkins some some sleep, give him three weeks of rest, stick him in a bowl game, and he's going to be a lot of fun to watch against a weak front seven. But this is not the spot. And if Clemson is sitting around at the end of the night, they're going to see every other game come to an end. And you know they're going to. You know they're they're going to be able to I think dictate the score. The way Dabo has been acting with the media, and the way Dabo has been talking to his players and the administration, and the way he's uh, handling everything, I just can't see him getting to twenty one and saying, "Ah, we're up by enough. That's good. Everybody take off." Right? I, I just I don't see it. You do have to worry about your health at some point. That's all. That's all I'm saying with the backdoor chance because they're going to the college yeah. football playoffs. The, the players are not going to see the field again for three weeks. So I mean, there there is something about keeping them in there just because they're not going to see a field for a long time. That's fair. Uh, will you wager this? I say now I will be rooting for Virginia. Uh, I don't have any Clemson futures like last year, and I have other futures of teams. Uh, maybe we can get Michigan in there somehow. Uh, but if I'm, I'm gonna, I'm saying if I have a, uh, a Sean Singletary jersey from way back in the day, Dewey Beach days, maybe I'll wear it. Yeah, it wouldn't fit into it. Maybe I'll just wear it on my shoulder. Uh, what I'm saying, if Clemson loses this game, they're done. They're not in the College Football Playoff. You agree or disagree? I agree, 100%. Okay. Um, so if you're Team Chaos, you have a reason to sit down at night and then just root for Virginia from the start. All right, let's get to another game Saturday night, primetime, another big spread, uh, this time a rematch of a game earlier this year. Now, this line is fascinating to me because Wisconsin, we're talking about Wisconsin-Ohio State, the Big Ten Championship in Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. Ohio State's a 15.5-point favorite over under 57, this over under took off. But the reason this is an interesting number is because these two teams met early in the year in late October, closed at 14 and a half with an over under of 47. And that was in Columbus at the shoe. So now the line is even higher on a neutral field. Now, to be fair, that was played on a sloppy track, bad weather conditions. So what you would think would favor Wisconsin, they still lost 38-7. Uh, I actually make this number around a little under two touchdowns. I've lost money this year playing against Ohio State just based on the number. If this does get to 17, I have to look at Wisconsin. If not, I want no part of this game. Uh, I will say the two weaknesses we always talk about with Ohio State is their lack of defending rush explosiveness. But look, they've been even better than I thought in that department. And Wisconsin just isn't explosive running the ball. And if you look at the first matchup, Jonathan Taylor only ran it 20 times for 52 yards. So nothing there. Mm-hmm. They don't have to worry about Wisconsin's aerial attack. And then the other thing you have to worry about with Ohio State is they're, they're you know, allowing pressure and their sack rate, which is, uh, I think, 96th in the country. Wisconsin is third in the nation on defensive sack rate. They do get a lot of pressure with their linebackers. Now, if Justin Fields, who holds onto the ball a little too long, is hampered by that injury with a brace, maybe Wisconsin can cause some havoc in that aspect, cause some turnovers. That's the only way I think they could stay in this game, because the other factor here is the stadium. The first time they played, the speed difference showed the athleticism advantage for Ohio State. Now, this is going to be in Lucas Oil Stadium in perfect conditions. You know, maybe the number has value if this gets to 17 and the public steams it up. And if it's 17 and a half, maybe I'll look at Wisconsin. But there's 
not a lot to like. What do you say? Yeah, that's what you're waiting for. If you're going to play Wisconsin, you're going to wait for it to get to 17, 17 and a half. But for me, this is an overplay, and there's a lot of factors in this game that st- I understand why the why the total took a jump. There's three different aspects that I think that led to this going over, or at least the, the money, the steam is all coming in on, on, on the over on the total. One of them is this isn't being played in crappy weather. The other aspect of this is Justin Fields having a hurt knee. He's got the brace on. He made a comment in the media that he's in a lot of pain, but he's going to play through it, and he doesn't care. What that tells me is that, yes, they are going to hand off to J.K. Dobbins plenty, but I think Justin Fields' passing attempts and passing downs are going to be quick routes. And I wouldn't be surprised to see if this is just three-step drops or if this is shotgun and, and throw. Like I, I, I just expect to be a much faster-paced game because they want to do everything they can to keep a sack rate of Wisconsin that ranks, what, third in the nation. You know, They know that the depth behind Justin Fields is zero. They're not winning anything if Justin Fields gets hurt. So, you know, it's in their best interest to either hand the ball off to Dobbins or to get Justin Fields to throw in a quick pass. Now, Wisconsin outside the top 100 against rush explosiveness against J.K. Dobbins and the Ohio State offense. They're going to break some. So that is a supporter of the over, too. So besides that, if you go to the other side of the ball, I started doing a little box score dump. I thought to myself, it seems like Wisconsin's changed the last couple of weeks. They threw a whole ton against Minnesota in extremely bad weather. It seems like teams are throwing against Ohio State a lot more. Michigan found a way to throw on them and score points. Rutgers found a way to have a, a, an explosive passing touchdown uh, you know, and get 21 points up on the board against Ohio State. So Ohio State has been giving up points lately. So I went back and looked, and Wisconsin threw 17 times against Ohio State in the initial meeting with 34 rush. So only 33% of the time did they drop back and pass. After that, Wisconsin had 28 passes against Iowa, more than they rushed, 21 passes against Nebraska, 19 against Purdue in a slow game, and 22 passes last week against Minnesota. So they've been over 20 passing attempts since their game against Ohio State. The one thing that changed last week is that Wisconsin is passing in standard downs. They are now passing on first and 10, second and five. They hadn't done that before this entire season. If they can beat teams at the line of scrimmage rushing the ball, against teams like Purdue, against teams like Nebraska, then that's what they've been doing. They've been rushing the ball 50 times a game, taking advantage, grinding the game, slowing it down, letting Jonathan Taylor handle the business. But in games where they are outmatched in the trench, they're throwing the ball a lot more. And they're throwing the ball on standard downs and not not just passing downs. So I love the over in this game for the fact that we're going to see a whole bunch more passing than we did in the first time when that game ended at, what, 45 points? So I I just think there's going to be a lot in the air here and a lot of explosive running from Ohio State. All right, uh, before we get out of here, let's go three and out quickly. Uh, let's start with the Pac-12 championship game on Friday night. Colin, we'll have we'll cover this game in depth on the Action app and actionnetwork.com. But just give me your initial thoughts here. I'm going to take Oregon. plus I added a plus seven, pay for the juice. Uh, if you have Utah futures, I suggest you do the same. Or get Oregon on the money line, but uh, at least get your initial investment back that you put down on Utah. I think Utah's going to win, but they're only going to do it by six or less. Yeah, I went with first half under. It's a good look. Windy conditions, rain, sloppy track on a sloppy field, especially in the first half. Utah's been slow starting. They're they're I think 66 in the country in first quarter points. They start to wear on you as the game progresses. And look, as you know, if you look, they're they're second in the nation in time of possession in the second half. 
halftime adjustments, I favor Utah. Oregon, I think, could come out, play a little looser and freer. And then also keep in mind that Utah has to run up the score for the college football playoffs. So does Oklahoma. So I feel more comfortable taking the first half. I think Oregon's a little undervalued here. Uh, I do think Utah ends up winning the game. But I think this is close and low scoring in the first half, at least. Yeah, Utah's outscored opponents 193 to 61 in the second half of the season. So, I mean, it's definitely an Oregon first half uh, if you're going to play it. Utah's covered eight in a row. It's the longest against the spread winning streak for a team going into a conference championship since 2005, at least. Um, all right, second down, let's talk about our favorite overdog, which is our favorite favorite. And by the way, someone that follows me on Twitter sent, sent me a link. Overdog's actually a word. 1908, it was the first known use, and it's one that is dominant or victorious. So it's used somewhere. So I apologize to the guy who said it as a favorite. It is a favorite. It's called the overdog parlay. Who's your favorite favorite this weekend? Clemson, you know it. Uh, they got an ax to grind. They're going to take it out on a bad secondary. Uh, I'm going Memphis. Like I said before, this line's almost six points lower than it closed out last week. Same place, same time against the same team. And I think since he might have a worse quarterback situation, lay with Memphis. And third down is our underdog money line parlay. Who you got? Uh, you're going to take ULL, right? Yes, sir. I'll go with Georgia. All right, there we go. Georgia and ULL. Thanks for listening. Make sure that you subscribe, unsubscribe, leave a review for some potential shot at swag. Uh, tell a friend, tell an enemy you know the drill. We'll catch you all on the live show, 10.30 a.m. Eastern on Saturday. Thanks for joining me, Colin, and uh, good luck, everyone, this weekend. Enjoy championship weekend. Cheers. Peace out. We're finished talking.